Hey, this is Stephen Cognetti, uh, writer-director of the Hell House LLC franchise, and you are listening to the Don't Go Out There podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to... The Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. My man Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. He's got it looking great. Everything about our podcast is on there. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one to our weekly release. If you want to check out all of our episodes there. Maybe you have an office job, don't have access to your phone. You can listen on your desktop computer. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with some of the biggest names in horror, uh, some of your favorite slashers, uh, writers, directors. Check out our interviews if you haven't heard those yet. We got our store. We, we got some new T-shirts. Uh, Brian and Dustin have done some fantastic designs if you want to check those out. And we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have our social media, fa- uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, we love interacting with our fans. We love you know, meeting new people. We love answering your comments and questions on the air. So definitely check us out on social media. And the last thing I want to shout out is our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. You're a big fan of our podcast, a big fan of our show. You want to help support us. That option is available. And we also have one-time donations. If you want to donate and, you know, have a, if you have a film review you want us to do, that option is available as well. And we are back for episode two of the week. Uh, I mentioned at the very end of the Frozen episode, but I just really want to thank all of our listeners for the patience. Really wasn't expecting to get the old coronavirus, but you know it came out of nowhere, like Randy Orton. Appreciate y'all's patience. Uh, this review is Brother Mike's pick. Uh, kind of a, I, I might would say it's a little overdue considering we've done two hundred and thirty ish film reviews now. Uh, Mike, announce your pick, brother, and why you picked it. Yeah, so I went with Hell House LLC, the first one. Um. Partially because I felt like it was time to do a found footage again, which congratulations, I played myself because I know how hard it is to take notes on these motherfuckers. And I went and chose one anyway. So that's on me. I got to do better, as Jameis Winston would say. Um, But no, I mean, I picked it because, like you said, I felt like it was finally time to do it. Um, This has a little bit of a cult following. I don't know if I'd go so far as calling it a cult classic, but it's close. It's very, very close, especially because it will be. Yeah. especially because it's an indie project, you know, no big studio picked it up. So very low budget, which we'll get to look, here's the thing. I think the first time, and I'm not alone in this. I think that me mentioned it along with some stuff I read online uh, the other day. I'm not alone in this feeling. The very first time you watch this film, if you immerse yourself into it, it's fucking freaky. And I think they do a really good job. I think upon subsequent rewatches, it loses a little bit of that that steam, that 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 luster, that interest that I had the very first, the very first time I saw it. I was like, "Whoa, this movie's awesome!" Uh, and then upon subsequent viewings, I have some nitpicks and a few things that I would, you know, maybe do a little differently. But overall, I still think it's a very effective horror movie. The way they use their low budget to their advantage, I think, was really smart. Um, I think this movie has good, well timed jump scares which if you've listened to our show before, you know it's difficult to accomplish, at least in my opinion. And I think they do a good job with the camera, the sound effects, making it 
feel like a home YouTube video that somebody found. Like that's kind of what this feels like. I know they're shooting it like a documentary, but uh, all in all, I think there's very effective scares, very effective kills on and off screen. And I'm excited to talk about it. And one more thing, I was going to wait until we got into our opening, but I have to proclaim it here because me, Nico, Dustin, all shit on Cloverfield for basically having no reason to film what was taking place. This movie at least gives you a reason why they're being filmed. You may not like the reason, but there's a reason why everything's being filmed. So I want to give it that little nod off the top there. Better than Cloverfield. Brian, who's not here tonight, suck it. The Cloverfield sucks. <laughs> yeah. Respectful. Respectfully. That movie is terrible. Disrespectfully. Disrespectfully. <laughs> I said it. Man said wear this together. All right. Anywho, my general thoughts. I see I've seen this movie brought up. I'm in a found footage group on uh on Facebook and I was, I'm in a lot of horror groups on Facebook. This movie gets brought up a lot and I feel like either people love it or hate it. But I'm one of the few that's kind of just in the middle. I think it's okay. It's rewatchable. I think the the cast, I think, is like a lightning in a bottle. I like I like the cast. Like, they have good camaraderie. I get, like, I vibe with them. The second, I've only seen the first two. I'll throw that disclaimer out there. I don't think the execution in the second is as good, but it does have some good jump scares in the second. We'll get to that movie at a different time. That black and white clown is horrifying. Whereas we are getting Stephen Cognetti on our show. It's in the works. I'm excited to ask him, have him tell the story about how they came up with the look of the black and white clown. It's a really good story. If you, once you hear that, I think this movie does have some good jump scares. I agree hundred percent, Mike, but it just has some of the classic found footage things that I just don't like at the very end. It just ends. And it's been documented that it was made by a documentary. How the fuck do we see that? You know, like who edits this stuff? Like that's just a classic qualm that I have with found footage. And I also <laughs> am not a huge fan of the movie starting off with, the ending and then cutting into the inner. I, I think it's just, it just has a weird setup, but I do enjoy the movie. I would definitely rewatch it again, but it just yeah. has a few issues. Okay. I actually, uh, I disagree with what you said there, Nico. I, I like how it started there. It started in, you know, yeah, in the too. ending and then yeah. it took us back because once we get there, it, it's kind of a more of a, an epiphany. It's like, Oh shit, that's what was going on. Oh, that's right. what we saw. Um, I had not heard of this movie, to be honest with you. Um, so obviously I'd never seen it. I watched it and I thought it was pretty good. Now I've seen a lot of people and I think we even have some social media comments saying that it doesn't work as a standalone and you have to watch it. I only watched the first one and I think it works perfectly as a standalone. Not everything. I was having a conversation with uh, Aaron Cabrera on Twitter yesterday about this. Not every movie has to be a franchise. Not every movie has to have sequels. Sometimes it's actually good to leave questions out there. So I came away from watching yep. this enjoying the fact that not everything was buttoned up perfectly. It let your mind wander. And I don't know about the sequels. I haven't watched them yet. I plan to. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they're really good. Maybe it does tell one big good story. But as a standalone, I liked it just the way it was. Uh, I thought that the acting was fine. The character dialogue and dynamic was uh, perfectly captured and portrayed. And, you know, I do like found footage films for the most part. Um, You know, I have in my notes, I'm glad you jabbed at Cloverfield because I have something about Cloverfield in mind as well. (laughs) This one, a hundred percent, 
this one 100 does make sense that they'd be recording it because that's what they do they go in they make a new haunted house they document their experience so that they know how to improve right. upon the next year easily makes sense mm-hmm. there's security footage throughout the the hotel uh and so that makes sense that they would have that and you know it's it's got some nice twists the, the twist at the end is well done I, it's not a perfect movie it was a, a bitch to take notes on in parts yes, because it sound push, just, but uh, well, they just talk. They're not doing yeah. anything. Yeah, but it's uh, it's got some effective scares in there. It definitely makes you feel uneasy throughout the majority of the film, and I thought it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, I uh, oh, no, go ahead, Nico. I I hear where you're coming from, Dustin, about the beginning, but. My whole thing is, is it's a found footage movie that has to get edited that they said was, you know, made by this, this film group. So I just didn't really like that. It started with the ending because that doesn't really make sense chronologically. If you're doc making a doc, I would say it would have just started with the YouTube video playing and the journalist talking. That would have worked yeah. for me better. Yeah, I get that. And I think it would have been better if it was, uh, I, I think if you watch it, from the sake of, or from the stance of watching it as a documentary. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I, I like that they brought in those quote unquote experts or the, the side people to talk about it. Cause it felt more like that. So then when you turn on a, de- a Netflix documentary or something like that, you do get clips of stuff later in the mm-hmm. story because they want to hook you from the beginning. And so if you look at it like, Oh, this is a documentary I turned on. I think it works fine, but I, I get what you're saying for sure. That's just yeah. one of my classic things yeah. I bitch about, though, with final footage. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Um, you know, that makes sense. It's a qualm. Like, I think sometimes found footage kind of has to answer for, why are, how do you have this footage? <laughs> like, and why is it cut this way? But I do feel like this movie does a good job of making sense of everything pieced together. Even that beginning, I feel like we are watching a documentary about the events. Um, and I know what happens yeah. in the end, and we'll get to that. But I feel like having that knowledge that we're watching a documentary, not, not just, you know, somebody picked up a camera and started watching yeah. film from it. Like I liked it. It's at least pieced together somewhat sensically. Yeah. So I think that if this was shot, like, or if this was portrayed like Blair Witch Project, for example, where they literally yeah. just found this camera with the footage yeah. still in it and they rolled it. But this one, they interviewed people. And so like, they set it up like it's documentary. That, that's the reason I, but other other times when that happens, I agree with you 100%, Nico. That bothers me as well. I, no, and I agree. I'll just go ahead and say I, I – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll go after you. Oh, no, my bad. Uh, I just want to say I have not seen the sequels either, <laughs> uh, just being honest with you, because I do think it works as a standalone. It had no desire to watch the sequels until we did it for this week. Now, after we're recording, <clears> I want to go and watch – Part two, I'm very curious because people all in the comments, which Dustin mentioned, hey, this works better as a trilogy. It was always supposed to be a trilogy. I'm curious. I will say I'm scared that it's going to do what a prequel does, which is answer questions I was not asking. So I just don't want this first movie experience ruined for me, I guess. No, two. I think two is solid. But like you guys mentioned, if they start, I can't remember what. I can't remember what the camera guy who stayed behind to watch the footage at the end. If you start off with maybe him on screen first saying, I went and found this camera and this is what happened. Like you start off that way. It would work a little better for me, but I'm going to quit bitching about the same thing. Uh, Y'all got any more opening thoughts before we jump into the scene by scene? Uh, 
do it. No, man, you're good. Let's get it. All right. What you are about to see is a documentary on the mysterious events surrounding the 2009 Halloween haunted house tour tragedy. Diane and her cameraman interview journalists, witnesses about their thoughts as we see them walking around the Abaddon Hotel. We see clips of the news on the tragedy. On October 8, 2009, a Halloween haunted house opened its doors in Abaddon, New York, a small town outside New York City. News reports say they don't know if any staff members survived as tour goers are in confusion getting treatment from EMT. Author Robert Lyons is clueless and says, watch the video, you tell me. We see the original YouTube video now as tour goers enter the house. The clown actor from the basement runs upstairs to customers' confusion and flees the house. Panic ensues as everyone runs and flees from the basement. Emergency workers arrive on scene as people panic. We hear the 911 call now, and a reporter says the causes of death were from a malfunction. The town kept it very hush-hush. Not even family members were told about what really happened. The journalist says he snuck into the hotel and took pictures. Blood on the floor debunks there was a gas leak. Journalist says no way he would ever go downstairs into the basement. Sarah Havel, a member of Hell House, reached out to documentarian Diane Graves and agreed to an interview at a hotel near Abaddon. She has not been heard from since the tragedy. We see the start of the interview now. Sarah says she's been staying with with family and is in a better place now. She says it would be hard to deal with if people really knew what went down. Sarah pulls out a bag of footage to show everyone what was recorded by the others. She says she hasn't seen the footage. That was kind of a nitpick. The police didn't ask you what the fuck happened. Eh. But uh, like we mentioned, Brian's not here tonight, so Mike, go ahead and kick us off. I'm guessing, you know, my just own answer to that qualm there, Nico, is that maybe, again, she went into hiding. She's been with family. The police couldn't find her, question mark. Like, wasn't sure of her whereabouts. Maybe something like that until now, I guess. Uh, But anyway, you know, that's just my own headcanon, not it. But we talked a lot about the beginning, so I won't get too much into it. But I like the way this is set up. It feels like, like Dustin mentioned, a Netflix like true crime documentary, which, you know, when one pops up and, you know, Nico can attest to this. He's a true crime guy, too. When a new good Netflix documentary pops up, buddy, I'm all in. I'm invested. I want to see what the fuck the crazy thing that's going down is. And this feels in the beginning like one of those. I think that they do a good job kind of setting me in that mood. Um and again, I like the fact that they're using, you know, footage that was found. Ha ha. Funny, I know. But they also use like you know, the, the original YouTube video to show the line outside the haunted house. That made it feel real to me. Like I felt like they did a really, you know, we talked about the low budget. Did a really good job effect of making this feel like the line outside of a haunted house, which I don't know about you guys, but I've done before, you know, lo- lo- you know, local haunted house. This is what it feels like. There's a long line. Takes a long time to get in. Uh, and I kind of feel like this captures that really, really well. Um, and then, you know, you get the more of the documentary set up with a reporter and a photographer that have kind of gone in the house. And mostly, you know, this stuff is just interviews, kind of setting the mood. Uh, like I mentioned, just really hard to take notes on people talking uh, back and forth to each other. That's why if you have a documentary review podcast, God, you know, you know, Lord help you, because I don't think I could do that one. Um but I do like the fact that we get what feels like a real documentary now. Sarah has taken, you know, she was a big part of what went down at the house. And now they're interviewing her, speaking publicly for the first time. Feels like a real news event to me. Um, I will say Sarah's stoic acting. I'm not really here to critique acting. I try not to anyway because, hell, I'm no actor. But was a little, I don't know, 
I didn't really buy it. It kind of felt like someone acting instead of like me being able to submerse myself into some something really bad happened to this person. But that's a minor nitpick. All in all, I think it's a good set of scenes to kind of set the mood, you know, kind of set up what we're here for. And, and I'm ready to get into the actual hot part. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I don't have uh, a ton of notes on this set of scenes or any of them for that matter. So I'll any be brief. Them, buddy. <laughs> First off, I do love found footage movies with a disclaimer at the beginning, explaining what we're about to watch. Um, just makes it feel more real. And I also like the interviews we get with people saying that they're not sure what happened that night. It just adds to the creepiness of it. Like I said, it makes it feel more real, more believable. It also makes sense that these events would be recorded. Another thing that found footages need, it has to be logical. Looking at you, Cloverfield. There's my jab. And, you know, this is a lot of groundwork being laid. So I'm I'm intrigued. I'm into it because I like found footage films. So it's a, it's a decent start and a solid way to establish a baseline without giving away too much. The Hell House footage, August 23rd, October 8, 2009. We're with the documentary crew driving to the location as they all make small talk. Alex confirms he knows the road as we see Mac and Alex on the side of the road arguing now. Alex makes a good point saying this is a good scenery for a haunted house, way better than New York City. The group enters the hotel and the place is a creepy dump. Mac thinks it's a bad idea off rip, but Paul and Alex only see money. Paul is in love with the place as they walk through the wine cellar. They joke the dining room was where the Last Supper took place when they see all the broken tables and chairs. Sarah says, there's no fucking way I'm staying here. I'm staying the night here. They all go towards the basement now, but the camera freezes on a demon in the corner of a room. We see the basement has a pentagram as Alex discusses his ideas for the haunted house. They all comment on the weird walkie talkie noises and Sarah is disturbed by all the Bibles down there. Alex doesn't understand why they're so disturbed. This is supposed to be a haunted house. Diane asks Sarah about living in an abandoned hotel. It took a week to get power on. And that's when the that's when they started staying there and things began to change. The crew is having drinks at the bar and talking about Disney characters they dressed up as. They clown Paul, the alleged puss slayer. Paul says Queens was a good time as they continue to converse. Alex really believes they're going to do just as good numbers here as in New York. The others express some complaints, but Alex appreciates them and has the camera cut. All right, Mike, that's the next set of scenes. What'd you think? Yeah, so this set of scenes is basically just kind of getting to know our characters. You mentioned really liking the ensemble cast. I do too. And part of the reason I like them is because I don't really love any of these characters. Maybe Paul because, hey man, everybody's a little horny sometimes. What can I say? <laughs> but, you know, Alex clearly unlikable from the very beginning. Money hungry. 
seems to kind of take advantage of people that are his friends that are loyal to him. I think that starts to get revealed more as the as the movie goes on. But I like their interaction here. Uh, you know, as far as banter, I don't really like or particularly like any of them. And I think that's why the movie works for me. Cause I kind of want to, well, I want to know what happens to these guys. I want to see that, um, you know, more just kind of, you know, the backstory or not so much the backstory on the house, but getting inside the house, taking a look at it, what it looks like, what it was left like the last time. I mean, it's an abandoned hotel for all sense of purposes. So um, I don't know why I said it like that, but I did. I said it in sense and purposes, but it's intents and purposes. So anyway, just ignore me real quick. Uh, but no, I do think uh, one good thing they did in this set of scenes is that freeze frame on that demon. And I know I, I, I've seen some people complain about it. Like it signs junior, you know, how the alien kind of like, no, man, I feel like for the budget they had, the way they worked the camera with these things going on in the background, I thought it was brilliant. Like, I think every time they do that, it's really well done. The pentagram being down there uh, kind of cracked me up because that's a little bit too much of a red flag for me. Like, yeah, if there's a pentagram down here. I'm probably going to leave, man. I'm not going to lie. Even me. And you guys know I'm not superstitious in this way. I'm probably like, yeah, there's something, something weird is going on down here. So, yeah, man, I thought it was a good set of, like, background scenes uh, for kind of setting up what we're about to get and getting to know the characters a little more. It's very standard found footage in the uh, beginning of this set of scenes. It shows the origin of the recording and establishes uh, some character dynamics. So no problems with that. It's just kind of, it is what it is. It can be expected. I like the reveal of the creepy shadow in the corner. Like it's easy to miss, but I love how they rewound it and paused it on it to show us again to really uh, hone in on that and drive it home. And man, this place is an absolute dump. So it's a great setting. Like it, it looks creepy as hell. Just 100%. without anything weird being going on. And then you find the, the pentagram and all the Bibles. Like, this is a great setting for a haunted house, you know, if you're if it's not haunted, if it's not actually haunted. And the fact that it turns out to be just it really makes it that much cooler. Because if they just found this empty building with some cobwebs, that'd be one thing. But uh, this is a real shithole. So, yeah, a decent set of scenes to set us up in the right direction. Hey, really quick, Nico, I'd like to talk to Stephen about you know, this, you know, the set, they, you know, where they filmed this, how they found it, how they got it all to be. Like, I don't know any of that backstory. I didn't look it up before we did the show. I'd be really interested because if they just kind of lucked into this, how fucking great was that? Man, like you mentioned, Dustin, like what a perfect setup. And I don't know if they changed a whole lot about it or what, but I thought they did a really great job of making it feel like this was an abandoned house slash hotel. Like, I think the setting for the movie is really, really sharp, man. If I'm not mistaken, this is actually a haunted house that they rent from somebody. Okay. I listened to a couple of interviews he'd done, and like one of the ladies who owned it like worked with him and all that. So yeah, she wanted to look good for the the movie, but we'll definitely talk to Stephen about it. Yeah, it was, some, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, it was filmed. I've got it here in my fun facts. I'll go ahead and say it now. The Abaddon Hotel does not actually exist in real life. It was filmed at the Waldorf Hotel in Lehighton, uh, Lee Pennsylvania. I think that's how you say that, Lehighton run by Angie Moyer, who served as the film set director. So be cool to look into more of the history of the Waldorf Hotel. Sounds like a road trip, boys. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Tony uh, gets the monitors uh, up. I'm in a few hours. Fuck it. Let's do it. I'm down. Let's do it. Dustin can pay for it all. Tony gets the monitors up and says the basement is causing them problems. Cameras and walkies aren't working. Tony suggests putting a buff dude downstairs in a clown costume to help throw people out. 
just in case. Tony hangs up a mannequin as Paul supervises with the camera. Paul now records himself tickling some ivories with Hector, a prop. Paul's in, bl- in bed vlogging September 5th, three weeks into the Hell House renovation. Paul is down bad and horny. We see a demon figure walk into the room and stand in the background. Paul hears a noise and asks, what's up? And it walks out, not saying anything. He assumes sleepwalking and goes to sleep. Paul goes into Alex and Sarah's room, sneaking too many shots of her in her panties. They're mad at him until he reveals the actors are here. Paul eyes Melissa as his potential mating partner from the balcony, creepily zooming in on her. The journalist says he spoke to a police officer and the first body found was a member with a slashed throat that was self-inflicted. What the hell happened, he asked. Journalist speaks on Joey now, the clown from the basement. Joey refused to talk to the police about what he saw. Nine days later, he was found dead in his bedroom. He hanged himself. September 18th, Melissa is told she's the main attraction by Alex. She's concerned with being touched, but he comforts her, saying it won't happen, and Joey will be down there to protect her. She asks why they're filming, and Paul asks what she knows about this place. She says the owner allegedly hanged himself in here. Melissa tells him things kept happening at the hotel, and they were forced to close. It's supposedly haunted. Alex tells Paul he's not off work, ever, and he gives Melissa a hand kiss as Alex kicks him out the room. The journalist has no clue what has ever happened in that hotel. He brings up Andrew Tully. Abaddon is the name of the demon who guards the gateway to hell. Some say Tully was a cult leader. Journalist comments on the guest who went missing from the hotel. Tully hanged himself in the dining room due to his business shutting down. All right, Mike, that's the next set of scenes. What'd you think? Yeah, we finally start to pick up on some business here. I think I actually, I know it's a little convenient, but I actually like the fact that the basement's kind of messing up the camera operation. I think that's, you know, kind of explains a little bit like hmm, there's something weird and off that's going on down there. While we can, and, and you could even excuse it away as something technical if you wanted to. But I think there's obviously more layers there. Uh, you know, we get a little bit of character development with Paul and Sarah and Alex and a few others in this set of scenes, too. I think it's pretty clear Alex is kind of a dick. Um, and I think Sarah, you know, this kind of feels like a bunch of buddies hanging out. And then Sarah's here, man. Like, what? Like, she feels like really just not not an outcast in her own group, but very different from just a bunch of guys being dudes, as Steve Adazio would say. Uh, and I think they kind of strike that balance really well. When I mentioned liking Paul in the first season, I just want to point out, I would it, it, it was tongue in cheek. Everyone, I don't he, he 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 he's a creep. The way he creeps on Sarah in her underwear, the way he creeps down at Melissa, very very creepy. Speaking of creepy. Paul doing his little vlog thing. I like that they started this and and then went back to it again because I think this creepy uh, lady hanging out lurking in the shadows. I mentioned in the last set of scenes how they did that with the shadow or demon there in the back, just kind of freezing on it. Well, in this one, you get some movement, but not a ton. You get a lot of still, but you see her in the back of this vlog. And I really love the way they execute that. The way it's shooted, kind of shoot it jesus christ i'm dumb tonight the way it's shot <laughs> kind of cat you know the figures kind of catty corner off to the side you can see the silhouette through the door that looks like a red light back there i just think that's a really good use of your money man uh i thought that was a job well done and, and extra extra creepy you know we'll, we'll get to meet some more of these cast members um and you know how how one of them ended up killing himself you know slitting a throat there's a hanging like starting to kind of get some layers here uh, of, of these characters that we're about to meet. Um, and then you get the backstory on the house with Tolly. And I 
felt that was interesting because I just like having a little bit of lore instead of, well, maybe this house is just haunted by these random people. No, there's a little bit of story here now. It's all kind of starting to not make sense, but I'm starting to put some pieces of the puzzle together, kind of figure out what's going on inside this house. So I think it's a really good set of scenes, honestly. Some of the visuals you get, uh, just just really good use of of found footage style uh, camera work, in my opinion. Yeah, it's very creepy and unsettling when Paul is talking to the camera at night and the shadowy person walks behind him in and out of the room. I really like how that was shot, but I almost wish that he didn't ever see him. Like, I wish he hadn't turned around and asked if it was Sarah or whatever. Like, would have made it a little bit more creepy to me. And yeah, in the director's cut of the film, it's the uh, the clown is in the room, not the woman. So I think that they should have left that in the regular version, the regular cut, because that clown had been, you know, is a, is a primary uh, point of fuckery in this movie. Getting all these side stories about the other victims and the history of the hotels is great. Nice added layers that really drives home how fucked up this place is. And of course, with that, the backstory of Tully and the guests going missing. Great, great added layer. Uh, this is a really good set of scenes. I don't know this is my favorite set of scenes, but this is a really good set of scenes because a lot's starting to happen. September 21st, Alex and Tony are setting up the clowns in the basement discussing where Melissa and Joey will be. Paul continues to be a creeper. Paul is vlogging again, saying he heard a strange noise. Tony says it sounded like a scream and tells Alex there was no video running to check. We see the roof is leaking and Max says they should have a spooky chef in the kitchen. Joey shows them his creepy eye trick. Paul explores the different spooky rooms messing with the scary props. He gets a jump scare as the three clown heads turn from looking into the basement at him now. Paul is pissed and the clown is missing and is back in the basement. He thinks someone is pranking him. Paul shows them all the footage from earlier. Alex dismisses it saying it was an awesome prank. The crew does a skit outside with some of the props until Tony notices Sarah being a bit odd by a statue. September 26th. Paul and Tony show off their hard work. They set up a camera and turn the strobe lights on in a hall of the house. Paul freaks out asking how many freaks they set up. He panics and begs to be let out banging on the door. He jumps over the bar and vomits on the floor. They review the footage seeing more than three freaks. Paul is going off outside on what he saw. Alex silences him saying not to scare off the actors. We need to make money. Paul storms off as Dr. Lyon says Alex was his own downfall. There was a bond there amongst the crew. Paul is scared again by the clown on the steps. Mac asks if he's fucking with him and goes and tests the thing out. He says it's just a mannequin and moves it moves it out the way. Paul is alarmed seeing Sarah facing the wall, not moving, talking to herself. They snap her out of it and she panics, crying. Paul turns around and the clown is gone. They go into the dining room to a mess. Moments later, after the clock rings, the dinner table is set. They run in fear and the clown stands there. They run out immediately in fear. Alex is hugging Sarah, consoling her. Paul is vlogging three days until the opening. He does not seem excited. He doesn't think they should be there. Sarah doesn't look good. She usually does. That's all for me. Sleep sweet as he cuts the camera. All right, Mike, that's the next set of scenes. Go ahead. This is the set of scenes of the fucking clown, man. This guy becomes, but this thing becomes the star of the show, in my opinion, uh, right here in this set of scenes from the very opening where you get the clown heads turning, very creepy, uh, and I like the use of the quote-unquote mannequin in this set of scenes, too, even though it's not. Like, the way that the house is fucking with Paul, you know, or they, you know, how Alex thinks somebody's fucking with Paul, even though what we know about Alex. I, I really like that they've started to kind of 
choose people to not infect. Infect is the right word, but kind of possess, I guess. Uh, they're, they're fucking with Paul. You know, Sarah's having really bad anxiety and stuff. And so I really like how we start to use the props uh, to kind of get the scares going. And the clown, man, the look at this clown is awesome. Like, you know, we talk about Art the Clown and how great that looks. Just coming back, another really good effective horror movie clown, in my opinion, here. Uh, and the and the setup. Uh, yeah, it's, man, I didn't have a ton on this set of scenes. I just thought it was really effective. I got really a, a lot more immersed in the story here. But I do like the character development with Paul, with Sarah, as a not not necessarily a descent into madness, but clearly there's something wrong with this house. And I think they do a good job of kind of, uh, you know, fleshing that out when even Paul, who's a trickster, uh, the horny guy, even he doesn't want to be there anymore. He's not excited. Uh, and no one seems excited. And I like that we're planting some seeds where Alex is kind of the heel here. Like he, he was his own downfall as mentioned, uh, by the reporter. I thought that was an interesting kind of seed to plant there. So that's all I had. I thought it was an effective set of scenes. I like the walkthrough we get and when the cloud's head turns and we find out it's not Tony and the clown is at the bottom of the stairs now. That's insanely creepy. I'm not sure, not sure why they weren't more freaked out, though. Like, Tony and Alex should have known that Paul wasn't fucking with them since they were there and they've got it on camera. Like, I don't know that they, they should have been more freaked out. It's really fucking scary. Also, the very creepy and unnerving when the strobe lights are going and we see the number of bodies in the shot fluctuating. I like the stills we get of what happened in the split screen of how the room was actually set up. That's very effective. Uh, it's creepy as hell again when they wake up in the middle of the night and the clown is at the bottom of the stairs and even worse when Sarah is Blair witching in the corner of the room. Don't like that one bit. And then the damn clown disappears. I'd be on the first bus out of town. Fuck the company. I'm out. I quit. Sorry. The candles, uh, the candle lights and the clown appears or reappears. Like I wouldn't have even gathered my shit or put my shoes on. I'd walk barefoot out of town. Action's really picking up at this point in the movie. This is the best set of scenes so far. Paul wakes up and we see a woman sitting in the room behind him. He hides under the covers when he sees her. He sneaks peeks and the woman is looking at him and approaching him in the bed. One last look and she's bedside and the camera cuts as he screams. Tony picks up the camera by Paul's empty bed. Mac is going off saying Paul is a fuck up. It isn't a surprise he flakes. God damn. Tony gives Alex his phone to call Paul, and it's a loud screech on the other end. Alex drops the phone from the scare. Tony and Mac hear noises downstairs and go check it out. They head to the piano until it suddenly stops. They think it's Paul, but only a freak is sitting there. The two grow scared, calling out for Paul. They go into the basement, and their breathing gets heavy in fear. Tony is terrified when he turns around, and the clown's heads have, fa have turned facing them. The clown heads have turned back around. Mac says it's Paul messing with them. They find Paul sitting on the floor. His eyes open, but he doesn't say anything. Mac is furious. Tony says to Alex, we need to call it off. It's not safe. Tony is furious, asking how the heads turn. He says he's out and leaves. Alex tells Mac to let him go, and Mac chases after him. Tony is sitting in a field, calming down, saying he can't leave. Mac consoles him, but he's pissed he wasn't told earlier. He does agree to come back. Diane asks Sarah about possible malfunctioning gear and if they were prepared for opening night. Was Alex of sound mind or was it a slip up in management? She says Alex did great rallying everyone. Diane asks Sarah, why didn't she leave? The witness tells her story of going into the basement. Alex is talking to the entire crew as Melissa asks about Paul. 
Alex says he's under the weather, under the weather and not to worry. Alex has everyone go get into costume and makeup. Tony goes to check on Paul, who is still not moving or responsive in bed. All right, Mike, that's the next set of scenes. What'd you think? And I thought this scene with Paul was really creepy yet again, like just a really well done, uh, effective use of the camera. Like I got, huh, it looked really creepy. Uh, and I like the fact that, that again, finally we're getting some, I don't know. Again, I just don't know if possession is the right word, but I think you all know what I mean when I say that of Paul. And, and now the house is really starting to fuck with them. It, it, but if you're Alex, you can explain some of this away logically, maybe not the clown's heads turning. I think, uh, that's a little much, and I would probably call it off at that point. But you could, if you didn't believe in all of this stuff, or if you were figuratively behind it, you could explain all this away and try to rally the troops. You know, and, and if I were Tony, I'd be pissed too. I'm not so sure I'd walk back in there. To be quite honest with you, I think I'd have to call. I think I'd have to call it a day. But I love the character development, the splintering of the friend group that we're getting here. I think is is really good storytelling, especially leading up to opening night. Uh, and I like the fact that Sarah isn't so like boo Alex either in her interview here. Like I think her almost defending his actions kind of, again, we're laying more seeds. We're laying more groundwork. I thought that was well done too. Uh, but again, clowns star of the show, effective jump scares, effective scares. And I really like the set of scenes. It's, it took a little bit of a dip from the last set of scenes where I felt like I was really, really, really invested, but, but not, not, you know, not too much. I thought this was really well done. And I, you know, really quick before you go, Dustin, uh, the scene where, where he's consoling Tony in like this wheat field or tall grass or cornfield, I thought was kind of out of place, <laughs> a little funny to me. Uh, and it like a, a 90s dramedy for that matter. But I mean, you know, I thought it was fine. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, did bro really hide under his covers like he's seven years old? I don't think that works, bud. I mean, I'd be freaked out, but Jesus Christ, be a man. What the fuck was that? Who hides under their covers? Uh, the piano playing the same tune that Paul was playing earlier is a great touch. Like that make, that was creepy as hell. You get great tension when they go looking for Paul, and then when they find him, he's clearly not the same. Like, he's not himself at all. You get a great nature shot when Tony says he can't leave which I know Brian appreciates. So when he hears this, I know he's going to be nodding his head agreeing and saying, hell yeah, brother. Beautiful setting in that field with the evening sky in the background above the trees. Very Kubrick-esque. I know he loved that. But yeah, this is another effective set of scenes. October 8, 2009, opening night. Alex loves the sign and is thrilled by the line of people. 
Mac checks on Melissa and Joey downstairs, making sure they're okay. Melissa asks if everything is all right sincerely. Mac cuts Melissa's shirt, revealing a little more skin to prepare for the first tour. Alex and Mac continue having walkie-talkie issues. The crowd is greeted and the first tour is about to begin. We see the original YouTube video now. Sarah tells Mac she thinks she saw Paul as they see Joey run out. Things are not going well, so Sarah goes upstairs to find out what's going on. Mac continues to fail to communicate with Alex via walkie-talkie. Melissa begs for help, saying this isn't part of the show, as we see a cloaked demon heading towards Melissa. The crowd is horrified seeing what happens to Melissa. More chaos and panic as tour goers try to flee. The door slams in Mac's face as he tells others to a, as he tells others of a different exit. The basement door slams on Mac. Mac and Sarah make it to the attic and are horrified finding Alex hanged. Demons surround Mac and attack. Sarah says she made it to the front door as the police arrived, thankful to be alive. The police didn't ask questions. Diane is shocked it was kept from the public. Sarah says she's exhausted and asks for a break. She says she has a room already and come find her there, 2C. Sarah tells him to get inside the house and see for yourself. They say it's boarded, but Sarah says they need to see it herself. We hear Diane saying they have an hour. They need to get into the hotel. The hotel receptionist says they have no room to see, and there is no Sarah Havel staying here to Diane's confusion. Mitchell stays behind to watch footage and sees the unexplainable. The next set of scenes of the ending, Mike, what do you think of those? So, look, I like that we're finally getting an opening night. This is what it's kind of been building to. And I like that we're pretty much running a foul, you know, right away. Like, we're, we're already kind of getting into, uh-oh, this is going off script a little bit. Uh, you know, you know, when, when something bad happens at a wrestling event, they come on and say, Hey, this is not part of the show. That's what this felt like. Uh Oh, this shit just hit the fan. I think they do a very effective job with that. Um, I like all the stuff with Melissa. It's scary. It's creepy. It's terrifying. Everything that starts to happen down in that basement, I think is fucking really, really scary and well done. Um, and the, even the stuff with Alex, Alex is home. Like that's that's not something I expected the first time I ever saw this movie. It kind of blew my mind. Like was fully expecting more from him, and then he's he he he's dead. Uh, and so I like the 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 I talk about it every time I do a purge movie. The the franticness, the chaos that this starts to you know as it starts to unfold. I think they capture it really well, especially in the style of uh, like a found footage. Like you know, really feels real. Like something terrifying is happening, I, and it just. Had had me immersed the very first time I, I saw it, um, and I like now that we're kind of not settling down because the last set of scenes has a lot of stuff, but we're back with Sarah. We're doing this interview, and this is when the first time I saw her, I'm like, oh, something's off here because she tries to get Diane to go into the house, and that was a big red flag for me, and I thought was a really nice see that oh we're. Not everything is on the up and up here. Not everything is is as it seems. So I think this is a really good set of scenes. I love it. Probably my second favorite set of scenes in the film. Very unnerving when Melissa is freaking out saying it's not part of the show and Joey runs out. The mass hysteria is understandable. Like, I'd be out too. But it just, it was one of those things like, okay. Like, it, it kind of puts you in that state of panic because even the cast members and the, and the crew are freaking out. I love how the footage from earlier is tied back in here with the people running outside and siren sounding like it just it made that more impactful to see it at the beginning to me. And then we see Alex and this isn't what Sarah meant when she said that she wished he was well hung. So uh, the Dementors closing in makes the heart rate rise even more. 
very effective, intense uh, scene there. Sarah encouraging the interviewer to go check it out is suspicious. Like she's trying to get them, uh, set them up to get killed is what it felt like, especially when we hear that there is no 2C and no Sarah Havel sitting there or staying there. So, yeah, that was a very, uh, I don't know, it just kind of puts you on edge for the rest of the way. It's a good set of scenes. All right, guys, here's the ending. Sarah has a camera now in the hotel navigating around. She sets the camera down and hugs Paul. He grabs the camera and then begins bludgeoning her. We see her dying body dragged away as Paul hovers her. Paul kills himself with a piece of glass to his own throat. Nature shots as Diane and her cameraman make it to the Abaddon. Diane is thrilled seeing the blood on the walls and floor. She commentates on the house and where things happen. Cameraman doesn't want to go into the basement at all, so they turn around. They continue going through the house as we see flashbacks of the crew doing things in the same spot. She declines a call from Mitchell as they head upstairs. They find a room 2C and go inside. They find Sarah sitting on the bed. She turns around and they see her battered face. The door slams and they turn around and they turn around to Sarah standing and cloak demons who attack them. The camera falls to the ground as we hear the piano playing. To this day, the tragedy at the Abaddon Hotel remains a mystery to the public. All right, Mike, that's the ending. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is a really effective kill, even though you can't see the whole thing, at least in the cut that I watched. Uh, you know, you know, he he slits his own throat. You kind of see him slump off camera, but you can still see it. I think it still lands really, really well. Like, I think it's an effective kill for sure. Um, and again, just more creepy stuff now that, you know, you, you kind of get to see it from a different perspective because, like we said, uh, Sarah handed over all these tapes, and so now you're kind of getting to see it from a different light. Uh, and I like that we're tricking Diane to go into this house. Like, it's like, uh-oh, what the fuck is about to happen here? Uh, and probably should have taken that call from Mitchell, man. <laughs> probably probably a really good time to answer the fucking phone. Just throwing that out there because he stay, he's like, nah, I'm cool. I'm going to stay behind and watch this. And he was trying to give you a warning. I probably would have picked up the phone on that one. If I were Mitchell, you got a double call. Got a double call on that one. Hey, I'm trying to get your attention. Come on, man. One, a little bit more than one call. How about a couple texts? Hey, answer the fucking phone, bitch. Something, anything. Uh, but nope, too late. And we're up in room 2C, which I thought was a nice test. As you mentioned it now, we're in the house. Uh, and, you know, we turn around and see, see Sarah, who I thought was dead. You know, we find out she died, quote-unquote, now she's a ghost or something. Like, very cool twist ending. Kind of leaves a lot of open questions, which we talked about. That's a lot of people's complaint. But I like that. Like, I think it leaves a lot of stuff open-ended. I don't need to know every little thing. Like, just keep me interested and keep the story good. I thought it was a pretty fresh ending. And, of course, uh, Diane ends up dead herself. And the end feels like the end of a real documentary, not knowing what happened, uh, you know, kind of following up with an on-screen graphic. I thought that was really well done. So all in all, I thought this was a really good way to close it out. And I do think it works as a standalone because of the twist ending myself. So, yeah, Sarah's dead? Who the fuck, what was going on in that interview? How was she doing that? Yeah, that's very, uh, it's very creepy. We get a real close crotch shot as Homeboy slit his own throat. Interesting choice there. I probably wouldn't have went with that one, but hey, that's okay. Reporter lady, yeah, I agree, Mike. She definitely should have answered that call. Mitchell was trying to help her, and uh, she needed to answer that phone call. But I agree. He didn't do enough. He called one time. Well, she didn't answer. Okay. And he went back to jacking off or whatever he's doing. Fuck that, man. Call multiple times, send texts, like you said. Uh, Sarah's sitting in that room all creepy and bloodied. 
and then the Undertaker's druids appear. Hell no. Fuck that. This is a very uh, unsettling conclusion to a very unsettling movie. I thought it was very effective. All right, guys, let's jump into our social media comments and questions. We'll start off with Twitter. Yeah. Okay, so I'll do I'll do X real quick. Andrew Ferguson with a two-parter. One, watched it Monday night. I was so unnerved that I couldn't go to sleep. I immediately watched part two to find out what kept Tony from quitting. Part two, the hotel the movie was filmed in runs its own haunted house, but they are doing a special halfway to Halloween specific to Hell House in May. I'm going to make a trip a uh, trip to the other side of Pennsylvania to check it out. Nice. Hell yeah, cool. brother. Let me know how that goes. Also, uh, really quick, Dustin, we didn't even hardly touch on the secret that Tony got told. Like That was a little bit of an interesting thing. I guess that's really the reason why I'd like to check out part two as soon as we get done recording. I think I'm going to do that because I also would like to know why, why the fuck Tony stayed because I sure as hell wouldn't have. Yeah, that's fair. That's 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 really the only question from this one I would want answered. But yeah, that's fair. Uh, Kevin Scanlon said, "I really like this film overall, but it's definitely not meant to be watched as a standalone film. It leaves the viewer with a lot of questions." Yeah, see, I, I disagree. I'm just surprised Kevin actually watched the movie. Mookie said, "I disagree about this movie being a one and done. I think you can watch it as a standalone, but the sequels do help it flesh out more, and that's where people start having problems with the franchise. It becomes too fleshed out." Otherwise, by itself, it's one of the best found footage movies, 10 out of 10. See, that's where I agree with a lot of franchises, man. Like, they flush things out too much. And then the cool commented and said, this one would be tough. One of the few found, few horror movies you can't judge without seeing the other ones. Ah, see, I don't know. I judged it just fine, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I need to see the others, I guess. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I... I think it works just great as a standalone. I really do. I don't feel like I need to see the sequels, but now I kind of want to because that's literally what half the comments were. China Turner, top fan, by the way, she says this one surprised or Cheyenne Turner. Sorry, uh, this one surprised me. Really liked it. Sequels are okay, but this one is good. I need to see the sequels. Apparently, apparently that's kind of a big thing. Kylie Denise, big fan of the show, says can't wait to hear your thoughts. First movie in a while that actually had decent jump scares. Bloody clowns with a laughing emoji. I agree about the jump scares. Very effective jump scares in this film. Uh, let me just make sure that we are not, that I'm not missing anything. Nope, that's all from Facebook. Instagram, Black Han Solo said, for the past few past few months, this film series has had me in a chokehold. I've been watched all four back-to-back several times, and knowing the writer, director, Stephen Cognetti, wrote the first three as one entire story and split them up into three, ease all my confusion. With that being said, I like one, four, three, two in that order. But three and two are interchangeable depending on my mood. I have a favorite uh, favorite slash scary scene in each one. The series isn't perfect, but I still think it should definitely be added to the conversation when talking about fun or found footage horror. Those fucking clowns scare me, man. Anyways, can't wait to hear you guys' opinion on this film and the other three in the future. Stay gory, fellas. And he cleared up. He said, eased all my confusion from the first film. Missy Hutchinson-Wall said... I really like this movie, but anytime Sarah or Alex were on screen, I wanted to slap them silly. Understandable. And Laughing Man 45 said, you guys still doing, quote, feel my pain month? This movie was a turd on your boot in a, on a hot day. Zero out of five stars. Seems a little harsh. <laughs> Dang. Okay. All right. All right, guys. That's it for social media comments and questions. Dustin, you got any fun facts? I don't have any. Uh, I got a couple. So, yeah, literally just two. 
So after one of the scares, Paul, when he runs out of the strobe light room and throws up, that was real and not scripted. The actor threw up for real on camera. So that's really cool. They left that in because it was authentic and it, yes. it came across that way. And the other one's just about the word Abaddon itself. Uh, Abaddon, you can look it up. There's multiple meetings. It can, can, can refer to hell itself or a bottomless pit of souls. It also can be a demon who guards the gates of hell. Uh, it can also, and shout out to Dead Meat James for mentioning this, but it can also be a wicked women's wrestler yes. on AEW, <laughs> Abaddon. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and also, something I meant to touch on is all the Dante's Inferno uh, references throughout, you know, throughout the script I thought was interesting. We didn't really touch on it in scene by scene, but it's definitely there, and I'd like to ask Stephen about it as well. Um, okay, no other fun facts, but the box office was around, no full number, but around $60,000. That's it for the first one. Uh, I, I thought that was... Damn, that's low, man. That is tough. Uh, and no real theatrical release, so I didn't really find a box office number there, if one of you did, maybe. But it, it mostly picked up steam on home video, DVD, streaming, stuff like that. that and, and that's mostly where it's caught its cult classic label from. So that 60000 was a budget then? The, that's that's what I found. I don't know. Oh, okay. Is that... You, you no, you said you said the box office was sixty. I just wanted to clarify. So that's oh, budget yeah, sorry. six thousand. The budget was that's, sixty. Yeah, that's peanuts. Nice, that's a, buddy. That's beans. That's a drop in the that's a drop of the piggy bank for Dustin Franklin. I know that. Yeah, for Brian Hathaway, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Brian Hathaway, he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> I'm just All kidding. Right, guys, happy birthday, Heather. Yeah, happy birthday, Heather. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys, let's jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. I'll go first since my uh, internet is fighting for its life like Dan did in uh, Frozen. All right. Uh, <laughs> favorite kill. I'm going to go with Sarah just because it was on screen. It was a powerful moment. Least favorite kill. You can just go with any of the off-screen ones. I almost went with Melissa just because the this isn't this isn't part of the show. That was powerful, like Dead Meat mentioned. Uh, quick rating. It's rewatchable. I enjoyed it. It's not perfect by any means. I have a lot of qualms with found footage movies, which I've already said. I've kind of said the things that bothered me throughout. Uh, I do still need to see three and four. So maybe if I get a little more explained, maybe this, this score will change. But as of now, I give it a six and a quarter. All right. So uh, this is Brian's. He said, knowing my love for the found footage genre, this movie has been on my list to watch for a while. So needless to say, I was super excited when Mike picked it. But upon my first watch, to be honest, I was disappointed. I was expecting that feeling when I first watched Paranormal, Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch and just didn't get it. I've heard the others make this one better, and admittedly, I haven't seen the others yet, but plan to before we, quote, hopefully have a surprise guest from this franchise soon. I'm giving this one a five. Okay. All right. I remember he said he was disappointed, but okay. All right. Uh, look, my uh, my favorite kill is actually Melissa just because of how effective and and uh, powerful, which is a, the word you threw around, was uh, I completely agree. And my least favorite is any of the off-screen. Although I do think there are some effective off-screen kills in, in this movie. But I guess I'll go with Paul. Or, or, no, not Paul. Sorry. Some of the early off-screen kills, like we, we don't actually see. That's what I'll go with. All right. So all in all, I think it's a really good found, uh, really good found footage movie. I will say through subsequent rewatches, like I mentioned in my open. I feel like it kind of 
loses its luster just a little bit. Uh, but I do, I can't unsee the first time I ever saw it. Like that experience was really cool, really scary, really eerie. And it's hard to get me. And this movie got me. So I'm going to go off of that. And, and, you know, like, uh, Nico mentioned, I think it's super rewatchable. Like, I think, I think you could pop this in if you have like a group of friends over and you, and you can, that aren't like really big horror fans. If you could scare the shit out of them with a movie like this, I, and I've actually done just that. So that's, that, that's how I know it works. All in all, I think it's an entertaining film. Uh, I'm going to give this movie a 7.25. All right. So for me, uh, my favorite kid was Melissa. The director's cut is available on Tubi. And I started to watch that one until I realized that the notes were done on the standard cut. But the director's cut shows her body sliding into a fiery pit in the basement. It was a pretty cool scene. So I'm counting it. And I'm saying that one. She's the girl that was chained up in the basement. Uh, least favorite kill. Look, any of the off screen ones of which there were plenty, specifically the main characters. Like we deserve to see those. I feel like, uh, as far as my closing thoughts and the, uh, rate my rating, like I said, I think this is a very effective found footage film. I, I, I won't say I liked it because man, it made me feel uneasy at times, but it was really well done. I thought, especially when you hear what the budget was, $60,000 is nothing for a movie. So hats off to everyone involved. Uh, I definitely would recommend this movie. I definitely don't think I need to watch the sequels in order to appreciate this one because I appreciate it enough as on, but I do intend to watch the sequels. But yeah, I gave it a seven and that gives us a composite score of bear with me. 6.375 and IMDb has this one as a 6.4. So man, we're right there on it. And I do want to start doing this. Just throw out the Rotten Tomato score. It's 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. Uh, y'all got any final thoughts on Hell House LLC? Fresh out of the blood donors. And then Dustin can announce his pick for next week. All right. Let's shout out our blood donors. Camper level reoccurring. Clayton J. Nina. Michelle Mirza. The Horror Movie Crew Podcast. Alex Seligson. Eric Doolittle. Sean Irwin. My boy CJ. Christopher James. Michael Evans. Camp Counselor Reoccurring, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Adrian Aiello, Karen, Brian Samick, Andrew Ferguson, Matt Strickland, Brooke Maley, and Thorne David Phillips. Really appreciate y'all being blood donors. I can't say it enough. Times are really hard right now. The economy sucks. We really appreciate the financial support. Uh, Dustin, you want to announce your pick and what we're closing out January with? Yeah, man. Uh, I got to be honest with you. When you said Dustin will announce his pick, I panicked for a minute. I couldn't remember what I picked. But how could I forget? Listen, man, if I got a chance to make you two, specifically Mike and Nico, if I can make you two watch a Marvel movie, I'm going to do it. So excited for your If I can pick a vampire movie that I like, I will. If I can pick a Jared Leto movie, I will because I like him. If I could pick a movie that I feel like was unjustly shat upon for the past two years online, I will. Because it's unjust. It's unfair. I'm going to defend it. I'm picking Morbius. From 2022. I uh, really was looking forward to your original pitch. Damn it. I don't even remember what my original. Oh, yeah. Happy Death Day. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. All right, y'all. Appreciate it. Uh, y'all have a good one. And hope y'all enjoy the episode. Just want to remind everybody.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.